Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Kelly forgot to add winemaking and uh, carpentry in there as well. So, The Advertising Show, Ray Shillins, Brad Forsyth, being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. You can visit online at adage.com. Advertising Show, a big radio midgets production, a very special guest today out of Northern California. It's Daryl Ray, principal and CEO of Cheskin and a passionate spokesperson for the design research industry. We'll tell you more about uh, Daryl here in just a few moments. It's a great website, by the way, Cheskin.com is where you'll find him. And you can find out more about Daryl. He's a, a speaker. He's uh, actually uh, attended some really high-profile events as well, so it'll be good. We've got um, today. Pardon me? Including today's event. Well, yeah, this is, this is Very the top of uh, Daryl's career, actually. It goes yeah. downhill from here. Yeah. A little bit, uh, just a couple of minutes away, um, Jeffrey Ginnimer, our sales trainer, identify risk. How do you do that? How do you d- identify the risk? If you find the risk, you can find the solution, and that's what people are looking for instead of selling stuff. Patrick Meyer also is with us, and he's going to talk about a new age NC, okay? And we'll find out what that's uh, that's about uh, a little bit later on in the show. So, how are you doing today? Well, doing great. And by the way, Cheskin C H E S K I N dot com. I agree with you. It's an outstanding. Uh, yeah. so, yes, it's an outstanding website and uh, worth uh, worth a visit. Not now, but after the show. Yeah, you, you wouldn't want to do it now. Not a good yeah. thing. Yeah. No, no. You're, you're familiar with uh, Crazy Eddie? Remember? Crazy Eddie, Crazy the retail Eddie from chain? New York, yeah. Yeah. Right. Is, uh, apparently... Pass uh, away or something? Well, no. It, it's interesting, though, because uh, the financial and personal scandals involving the uh, chain and the owner, Eddie Antar, uh, put an end to the business not so long ago. But the company was purchased in the mid-'90s, Ray, and revived in New Jersey as a local business, and then they went out of business. And now, here's where the story <laughs> gets interesting. Yeah, I can't right. believe this. June 22nd of this year... Yeah. Trident uh, initiated a 10-day auction on eBay for the Crazy Eddie trademark and the CrazyEddie.com internet domain. Uh, but really? after 32 days, uh, the auction closed without a winner with the top bid of 30100 which, frankly, I think is quite large, but yet a, a large distance also Obviously, from the— they wanted something else. Yeah, guess how much? Uh, 2.5 mil. <laughs> well, it would have been a bargain for you then. Uh, 800,000. Prior to the auction, Larry St. Martin, a partner in Trident Growth Fund, uh, said in a statement that the eBay auction of Crazy Eddie trademark, domain name, and business uh, goodwill, that's mm-hmm. called Blue Sky, right. uh, is a rare opportunity to purchase an asset with such a strong history in both pop culture and the U.S. retail industry. Obviously, Ray Bitters uh, found the asking price of all that Blue Crazy Eddie high. stuff a little insane as well, I you know, suppose. that happens from time to time, Brad. Yeah. He had insane prices, you know. Yes, he did. <laughs> so it's come all the way into the eBay deal. But, you know, 800000 for a, a URL and a, uh, and a, and a trademark, that's... Uh, I don't know who the people at Trident are and what they were smoking when they bought that. But, right, uh, right. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. You're doing your back-to-school shopping. We were talking about that off the air. And sure. I, I got want my you to big know. chief notebook and my number two pencils. And your candies, uh, 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 clothing. <laughs> Shoes? Yeah, you do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, right here. Because what, uh, what what's happened now, and this is this will go back to, to our days, mm-hmm. uh, candies. It's a campaign for fall. It's called Heartbreaker, and that would bring to the point of Pat Benatar 
And they put oh. it together with uh, Cheyenne, uh, who is, uh, they're both going to be featured in a back-to-school ad for uh, the Candies brand. And Cheyenne, the one from the, uh, the, the, the MTV Beach Boys show. daughter? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. That's Yukon. No, I don't know. Anyway, uh, this is the first endorsement deal for both of the artists, so that's good news to know that uh, Pat Benatar is again working mm-hmm. and uh, selling. Uh, they're doing uh, television and print ads to uh, launch a collection of vintage candies, apparel, footwear, oh. and accessories, which that's brings weird. me back to... You're, you know, you're, you're shopping. You're shopping at Kohl's a lot this month, and uh, so look for the candies thing, and you'll be in pretty good shape. And you can also, good news, you get the Heartbreaker fragrance a little bit later on this fall to replace ma- your English leather. Okay, well, I've made note. Okay, I've made note of that. And uh, by the way, you mentioned Cheyenne on MTV. Have you, if you've seen, if you've seen any of those TV programs and that one in particular there's this new style of uh for the kids a new style oh that's good of of actors where they oh, act like it's a, a, a reality tv show but it's all scripted oh. and when you watch this in the beginning if you've never seen any of these shows it's like wait a minute this is this is not it's scripted and then you watch it a little real. further and you go this is scripted it's got to be scripted. and that's this this new genre of acting among young kids that uh hmm. try to make it come off like it's reality and it's really a scripted TV program. Well, that'd be a tough thing to pull off. It is rather interesting. I mean, there's interruptions, a lot like you and I talk here on the radio. Right. But there's interruptions and there's talk over and there and it does come off like it's uh, in a lot of places like it's just uh, off the top uh, dialogue as opposed to script. That's called acting, and that's a good thing, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, we we act here. We act was, up a lot from time to time. We do. Yeah. yeah. Jeffrey Gittimer is with us here on the advertising show. Let's check in. With Jeffrey. Quick Takes on Sales and Customer Relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey. A risk of purchase is some mental or physical barrier, real or imagined, that causes a person to hesitate or rethink ownership of what it is that you're trying to sell them. As a salesperson, your job is to identify the risk and eliminate it. Interestingly, risk is harder to identify than it is to eliminate. What is risk to some people is a walk in the park to others. What may seem ordinary or of no consequence to the salesperson is huge to the prospect. What may be just a few thousand dollars to some people may be, oh my gosh, three thousand dollars to other people. Now, risk is actually a lack of confidence, a lack of trust, and a lack of believability either in the product or the service or the company or the salesperson, or maybe the customer doesn't believe in themselves enough. The absence of these elements causes doubt and rethinking the purpose of the purchase. Now, you may think that it's an objection or a barrier. I'm looking at it as a risk. The aspect of risk is a subtle one. Only the best of salespeople will get this concept and harness it. Quick takes on sales and customer relations from The Advertising Show, the only radio show in America featuring Jeffrey Gittimer as a regular weekly guest. To learn more about his books, tapes, CDs, and speaking engagements, log on to Gittimer.com, G-I-T-O-M-E-R.com. And tune in next week when we'll hear Jeffrey say, This is Jeffrey Gittimer. 
reminding you that if no one responds to your ad, it may be because your ad sucks. Love Gettimer. He does a sales caffeine, a weekly uh, easing, and it's uh, it's a powerful thing, too. We get it here and enjoy reading it every week as well. So that's cool. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. We've got Patrick Meyer here in just a little while, our marketing insider with uh, New Age NC. Okay? Hmm. And uh, that's kind of cool. We've also got uh, Daryl Ray uh, in the green room at this point in time. It is green. Uh, principal and CEO of Cheskin and a passionate spokesperson for the design research industry. He's been a pioneer in incorporating market research into the brand design and product development process. What a concept, huh? Yeah. Ray is considered one of America's leading strategic design consultants. And we'll tell you more about him because his bio is like 12 pages long. Well, his mother wrote it. Yeah. Well, she was proud. Okay. Well, and in the green room, did we get him the uh, Pepsi and the Frito Lay? Got a Perrier request. Yes. Perrier. It's good stuff. Okay. We have Daryl coming up in uh, just a moment. Glad you're here with us on the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Stay right here. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. That's right. I forgot. We stocked the green room today with Schaefer beer from the early 70s. It's, it's yeah. good. It's ripe, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, Daryl Ray is our special guest uh, out of uh, Northern California. He is principal and CEO of Cheskin, uh, also a, a producer and leader of professional development seminars for senior execs in marketing management, market research, corporate design management, and uh, leading corporations, including Pepsi, Kraft, Schaefer, no, uh, General Foods, General Mills, Clorox, and the list goes on and on. And, uh, Daryl, uh, we are so pleased to have you on the advertising show. Thanks for being here. Well, Ray, Brad, it's, it's uh, delightful to be here. Yeah, and uh, I guess we're speaking to you from San Francisco today. Yeah, Redwood Shores, just uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, uh, and for those that may not be familiar, describe your company, Cheskin, for our audience, Daryl. And, and uh, Cheskin simply uh, is not just a b- brand design firm, or, or has the company grown into much more than that over the years, I guess, huh? Yeah, we've evolved from actually being one of the first market research companies uh, on the planet, uh, where our genesis is really from the 1930s, to now being an innovation consulting firm. So we, we help companies... Uh, transform their organizations to be able to do great innovation for clients and customers. And I understand that uh, that your firm, Cheskin, has a long history of uh, development of brands from uh, Crest to Dove to uh, even the Marlboro Man. What, what uh, brought you to Cheskin, Daryl? Well, I had a degree in design and, and a uh, uh, also a, a passion and a degree in, in psychology and Lewis Cheskin, who was the founder of the company, was, a, was just a, kind of a seminal character in marketing, wrote 16 books on, on uh, secrets of marketing success and color, and, and was really a, really a pioneer there. And, and, and uh, Dr. Cheskin, or, or Lewis, was just really uh, one of the few people on earth that I'd heard of, of combining a passion for design and a passion for psychology and, and uh, wrapped it up in a, in a way to be really relevant to the marketplace. So that really excited me and captured me. 
Yeah, very ahead of its time, of his time, I would imagine. Uh, and you guys did some uh, Hispanic uh, design work as well, which we'll talk about a little bit later. I guess he changed his name to Luis when he was working on those. <laughs> but uh, those accounts. But many executives and marketers include included, I think, uh, still think of uh, design. You know, Daryl as as more of like I don't know, superficial eye candy. Eye candy. You know, I, I, of course, you and I and Ray all know that it's so much more than that. What's your reaction to uh, to those? that think of it as a more of a superficial, feel-good kind of packaging kind of thing? Well, certainly the original view, the original contribution of design was almost as a, as a decorative commercial art. It was kind of the last decoration station on the way to the marketplace as, as packages were, uh, were designed. Uh, today, it's really about design of ideas and about designing culture, the, the culture of an organization. And so design has evolved uh, dramatically uh, over a period of time. And it's really evolved into a focus on serving customers and consumers and serving other human beings by creating products and services that are really meaningful to them. And all the practices around that uh, are what design is today. And, you know, a great example of that, as I was uh, doing some uh, work for today's uh, interview, when you think of the iPod, you know, hugely successful uh, uh, technology, yet they were not first uh, to market. There were others that preceded. And I think, wouldn't you say that it was all about design when it comes to their, their product success? Not only about design, because they have, they have elegant uh, industrial design, great interface design, a wonderful uh, design of their website for the iTunes website. But what the, what the, real, um, the real breakthrough in design that they were able to achieve was this integrated experience that they provide the end user that's mm-hmm. kind of seamless, easy, and consistent. And it's the design of that overall experience that uh, really makes that a compelling, differentiated uh, uh, product and service. And you're right, there was no uh, individual component of that mix that others hadn't done uh, and even done successfully in the marketplace before they packaged it all. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people, especially in the ad game, give success to, a lot of their success to the uh, wonderful marketing they did. But you know, without the without the package itself and the design uh, elements with included within not only the the actual technology, the the product itself, but and the, the usability back, of that product, of usability, the the online, uh, you know, iTunes and outgrowth of all of that. I think it was a, a combination of all those things, and of course, who gets all the credit? The advertising, right? Uh, I understand, uh, Malcolm. I'd say, I'd say, you know, probably Steve Jobs gets most of the credit. Well, that's uh, true. You know, in the in the media, and, and I think he probably deserves it because he's he's the one who's been the passionate spokesman to really drive that integrated delivery of a great customer experience all the way through. Yeah. He's got that vision, and he makes sure that the rest of the company delivers on it. Well, and I, again, I think you and I and Ray all agree Jobs does get the, the credit, but unfortunately in the ad world, uh, you often see uh, touted the uh, advertising campaign, campaign for yeah, iPod, right. and it's right. and, you know it's it's it was, it was all part yeah it was part of the success, but certainly hardly the uh, single element that needs right. to get be getting a lot of the credit. I understand Martin, I mean sorry, uh, Ma- Malcolm uh, Gladwell uh, mentions you in his uh, his new book Blink. Uh, are you buddies with this guy? Um, I've, I've known him for a while. He's he's a real interesting character, and I think a great writer. 
and uh, always has entertaining ideas. I, I, I loved Blink. I thought it was a real uh, fascinating read. Yeah, I've, re- I've re- just finished it myself, and uh, I agree with you. I, I think it was, uh, uh, I liked it better than his uh, previous uh, bestseller, frankly. Uh, you know, Gladwell has, has said that he feels focus groups are a tax on revolutionary ideas. What are your thoughts, uh, Daryl, on, on uh, what, what Daryl's saying there? Uh, what Malcolm's saying. I'm sorry. I just upgraded you, didn't I? I made you a best-selling <laughs> author there. <laughs> I think that, that you know, focus groups are just one methodology in a whole large toolbox of market research methodologies. And uh, I think they get uh, way too much attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're frankly overused. So today in the world, this year in the world, there will be over a million focus groups done globally this year. Man. Think about that now. Yeah. I, I find now, that hard to believe. I mean, now, you know, it's it, such a waste of money, don't you think? I, I actually do. Uh, you know, so focus groups are really valuable for some things. They're valuable for understanding people's um, uh, conversations and uh, setting up context and understanding uh, a, a group's point of view on a subject. So there's some things that focus groups do really well. What focus groups do terribly, what they're absolutely wrong for, uh, and I can say this, having done uh, many, many thousands of focus groups, and uh, is that, that they're really inappropriate to be used to to test specific executions of creative work. So whether it's a uh, an advertising concept or a package or a design, putting that uh, design in a context of a focus group um, is a great way to kill it, uh, because uh, it, 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 you know fundamentally it puts customers and consumers into a position where they are evaluating creative work mm-hmm. in a very rational and intellectual context mm. when you know, in, in reality man at the point of sale they've got you know all of that goes out the window and they're mm-hmm. absolutely um, uh, responding on a very much emotional and unconscious level right, to that creative yeah. work what do we have, Ray? About a minute, minute and a half. About left a minute here? and a half, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, and there's so many stories about focus groups rejecting creative, and and the CEO or the CMO going uh, against uh, the advice of of groups suggesting that the creative behind a particular uh, campaign was was failing, and and went against that, and huge success. And we've all heard stories about that. You mentioned that groups, uh, uh, focus groups, can give you a group point of view, but yet don't a lot credit. Isn't there a lot of criticism about how a few individuals in a focus group can sway the uh, opinions of others? Absolutely. And um, so, again, if, if what you're looking for out of a focus group is um, a, a, a evaluation of the effectiveness of a particular creative uh, piece of creative, um, it can be swayed, it will be swayed, and, and people don't decide about uh, uh, how they're influenced for marketing uh, messaging or, or design in a group context. They design it one-on-one in the, in the, at the point of sale or at the point of interaction with that brand. It's a very maybe, individual per- process. Maybe what we should call it is a hocus focus group. <laughs> yeah. Like that, right? <laughs> uh, we have uh, Daryl Ray, our special guest out of Northern California this weekend on The Advertising Show. Daryl is principal and CEO of Cheskin, and uh, we'll talk uh, a lot more here. We've got a couple segments to spend with Daryl. We hope you'll spend them with us, too, here at theadvertisingshow.com. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. 
This is the Advertising Show. What walks downstairs alone or in pairs and makes a sneakity sound? A spring, a spring, a marvelous thing. Everyone knows. This is the Advertising Show. Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth. During the break, we actually did a focus group, and Daryl, people like you. Okay, that's a good thing, right? Oh, mm-hmm. uh, that's three of them did. Well, yeah, uh, two out of three, actually. But that's yeah, kind of, that's you know, true. Same yeah. thing like the president. Uh, <laughs> principal and CEO of Chesk and Daryl, welcome back to the Advertising Show. Thanks. Yeah, and you know, as being the CEO of uh, Cheskin, a consulting firm that uh, guides innovation through a deep understanding of people, cultures, and and, uh, uh, and change, you would think that, uh, you know, uh, reading a quote from you, Daryl, that says ideas are virtually worthless, it's like, well, now, now, who is this guy, and what could he mean by that? I would think that you'd be at the top of the list saying ideas are, ideas are great. Are yeah. Well, people tend to simplify the innovation process and focus on on idea generation as kind of the the, the, the beginning and ending of the process. And man, after, after spending 25 years in leading innovation initiatives at, at uh, Fortune 1000 companies, I, I can really promise you guys that that ideas, in comparison to uh, everything else uh, that that it takes to get a product out the door or a, uh, a, a creative campaign out the door, uh, that ideas in and of themselves are the easiest part of the whole thing. So people tend to do ideation generation and think that, 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 that that's really going to be the key to innovation, when the key to innovation is all the hard work to make sure that the ideas are the right ideas, that the ideas express senior management's uh, commitment to strategy, that the ideas can be implemented and ultimately translate into a powerful business model. You know, that's such an outstanding observation. You know, manufacturers, we, we've all read and seen, they, te- they tend to oftentimes develop products first and later work on market acceptance strategy, and yet you've described this strategy as putting lipstick on a pig. Uh, I guess, uh, are you? is that what you're saying right now, are you, or can you amplify a little bit on that? Yeah, sir, I, I, I think that, that most companies don't have a very thoughtful, um, really robust way to manage innovation within their companies. So they tend to be very uh, tactical and reactive to ideas or concepts that are floating around in their company, and they, they tend to grab, uh, grab the easy ones that will go through their process with the least amount of friction and the least amount of controversy, and then uh, roll them out in the marketplace. And guess what those tend to be? They tend to be line extensions. They tend mm-hmm. to be me-too products, stuff that everyone else has already come out with, and then it's left up to the to the um, to the advertising world, the agency world, to try to figure out how to make this Me Too product yeah. really exciting. And of course, that's a pretty difficult thing to do. It's a tall order, and it's a, really a safe strategy, isn't it, Daryl? I mean, you know, line extensions. Well, it's, I, I think it's an unsafe strategy. Well, of course it is, but they think it's safe by they doing they that, right? You know, yeah. you know, innovation is really a social process, and and you know, people under estimate the, the, the social dynamics or cultural dynamics around innovation in, within companies. And, um, you know, they, they, you know, line extensions are what people can agree on, right? Because they are obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they do, it is incremental. They're already in that business. But to come up with, you know, the iPod, as we were talking about, or, the, or iTunes, you know, that's a really a transformational innovation. That's, that's really breaking through and changing the rules in a category. And that, uh, you know, that makes people really uncomfortable. 
Well, let's uh, give our audience some insight into your, your company and how you guys go about the process. Let's talk about your, your customer-centered innovation process. I know there's three stages that begin with exploring opportunities, and then we go on into generating concepts and finally mm-hmm. expressing brand experience. So just to finish out this segment, why don't you touch on each, each one of those? Certainly. Well, we, we really want to make sure, you know, first of all, that we really understand what kind of growth is, is needed within an organization. So we want to understand and, and help contribute to the articulation of what the strategy is for, for products and brands and innovation long term uh, so that we help identify new opportunities for products and services. So we look for marketplace opportunity assessments, and uh, both from a business standpoint and a customer standpoint. And then uh, use research, use the customer or the consumer to help us generate better and more effective concepts for products and services and brands. So it's integrating customer research into that process, which sounds kind of obvious, like hasn't everyone always been doing that? And the answer is really no. What they've been doing is they've been developing uh, uh, creative initiatives and then throwing research on at the end of the process uh, to evaluate it to see if it's if it will work or not. What we really are committed to is driving product and service development and brand development from the viewpoint of the customer to create a powerful and meaningful experience. And then finally, I guess, oh, I see. So the customers that you, you dig on there to get uh, their understanding of, of brand experience, are those existing customers or customers of competing, competing products, or what would it be? It really would depend on the, on the objectives of the, of the innovation initiative. So if, if what we're doing is trying to invent an entirely new business, a, a, a flanker brand, or, or to expand the existing business, we might want to concentrate on, on customers that are client doesn't have yet, and oftentimes their knowledge of those customers is fairly weak. So we'll do segmentation research. We'll really bring those customers to life to understand what their criteria for success is. In other cases where we've got, uh, where we're innovating within an existing category uh, with an existing distribution system, an existing uh, clientele, then we're going we're gonna to focus on the, the, the core users of that brand. What do we have left, Ray? About a minute? Actually, uh, less than a half minute here. So we're going to. Why don't we talk uh, among ourselves? Why don't, yeah. uh, (laughs) Know any good songs, Daryl? Daryl Ray is a principal and the CEO of Cheskin, a passionate spokesperson for the design research industry. And he's our special guest here on the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. We've got one more segment with Daryl. We hope you'll uh, come back and listen to it right here. Simplifying the complex world of advertising. To reach Ray and Brad with your questions, log on to theadvertisingshow.com. This is The Advertising Show. We are the men of Texaco. We wear the Texaco star. And there's an industry that has gone down the toilet, so to speak. Uh, there are no men of Texaco, and uh, if they are, they're not smiling. And, uh, well, I, I won't put on Texaco. Certainly not though. checking your oil. No, no. Don't even know where your dipstick is, right? Well. Well, and probably don't want to know anyway. <laughs> and they'll charge you a bunch for that privilege as well. That's true. It's uh, Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show with one more segment with Daryl Ray out of Northern California, principal and CEO of Cheskin. Daryl, welcome back to the Advertising Show. Thanks. 
Yeah, and as promised, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Hispanic marketing. You guys have been uh, working in the Hispanic market for some 20 years now, way ahead of your time, I think, than, than many that are just now waking up, it seems. And major corporations just waking up to deciding to allocate dollars to uh, market uh, products that have a national footprint to Hispanics, which I find, and Ray and I have talked about this, we both find rather uh, strange that that would still be going on in today's world. How many of those uh, years were, were spent over the past 20-some years uh, proving this market, uh, that being the Hispanic market, had the potential for brands and marketers to achieve, to achieve uh, commercial success. Was there was there much of a, a pitch to that back 20 years ago? Man, 20 years ago, it was it was definitely a hard road to hoe. It was it yeah. was uh, an, an idea that um, really wasn't uh, acknowledged as uh, a critical. Uh, you know, a critical part of marketing. In today's world, that's absolutely changed. You only have to look at the census data. It, you know, the, the whole world has, has turned around, and you've got major, major corporations. You have the Procter & Gamble's of the world who, who are telling their brand managers it's not just important to pay attention to Hispanics, but every major brand has to have a Hispanic marketing strategy because it's a substantial portion of the uh, of, of the franchise of all of those brands now, so it's it's gone from this optional, you know, sideline, small budget uh, uh, activity to a, a very central part of the the strategy for um, for managing uh, global brands. Yeah, the 2000 census really put the put uh, Hispanic marketing on the map. Do you feel the uh, Hispanic market has finally matured, Daryl, or or are we on the verge of changing once again? Well, it's growing tremendously, and and it's changing uh, continuously. So you're you're seeing a great deal of acculturation going on within the the uh, Hispanic community. So you know it's not the the first wave uh, Im- immigrants that are are uh, we're dealing with now. It's it's sometimes third and fourth generation, and and uh, especially the youth market has very different attitudes and. And uh, behaviors than their than their parents, you know, different well, and, preferences that, for different kinds of media, you know, English language versus Spanish language, for example. Well, I was going to say that begs the question. The you know the big big uh, pitch for Hispanic media was you know this is the only place you can reach Hispanic uh, the Hispanic market, but yet as you point out the. Uh, uh, second, third generation, the young young folks, I understand, are more uh, available through general media uh, outlets as opposed to Hispanic media outlets. How, how do you how do you deal with that? Well, well, you know what we are observing is that context plays a really big role. That, that first off, the Hispanic youth are definitely looking at, at use a variety of, of media for different purposes at different times. So if they're watching. Uh, you know the news or television with their parents in that context they're very much likely to uh, favor uh, Spanish language media when they're off on their own with their friends in a in a in a different social context they might prefer uh, English so their context plays a real important role and it really moves around depending on what what kind of media and what they want out of it you know, uh, outstanding book that you and your two associates uh, wrote uh, recently, Making Meaning, How Successful Businesses Deliver Meaningful Customer Experiences, and a worthwhile read, and I encourage any listeners, I guess you can uh, uh, learn how to purchase that through Cheskin.com uh, as well as Amazon and all the other places, right, Daryl? That's absolutely right, Amazon.com. It's Making Meaning. 
Yeah, and uh, he he said it an extra time. We're going to have to send an extra bill out for that, right? I can can edit that out later. uh, Yeah, good. Thanks. (laughs) Describe uh, real quickly for our audience the central hypothesis uh, beyond uh, of your book, uh, Making Meaning, Daryl. Well, you know, our, our our hypothesis is that 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 there are different levels of value that that we can create in in developing products and service and the highest level of value that we can create is is really meaning meaning that reinforces the value of of the the purchaser we all have uh you know, plenty of stuff. We're all, as consumers, we're all kind of inundated with the products and services that 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 we we purchase, and there's very few of those that we really love. So, by really targeting and creating and holding the bar high to 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 design products and services that people really love, that reinforce who they are, that that feel like they're made just for for you, um, that you can provide really deep satisfaction and customer delight and the companies that do that tend to uh, be those that really win we are actually out of time here daryl thank you for being on the show today daryl ray principal and ceo of cheskin and we really enjoyed it thank you ray thank you brad you're listening to the advertising show with ray shillins and brad forsyth Advertising show, Ray Schillen's Brad Forsyth. So glad you're with us today, and I hope you enjoyed our interview with Daryl Ray out of uh, California. Cheskin.com is the website. Go find out more about Daryl. There are some, uh, actually some podcasts uh, available on the website as well as there are here at theadvertisingshow.com. It's a real powerful website. gets a lot of activity, obviously. Uh, there are hundreds of shows that have been archived and are available as podcasts, RSS feeds, and it all works through a company called Shipple.com. It's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com with a product called Tendency, which really gives an opportunity to market a website the way it should be. So check it out if you can, and be sure and tell Ed that uh, Ray and Brad sent him. <laughs> or something like that. You got that phone number I there? I can't believe you said that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, well, that's fine. Don't yeah. you hate it when you hear people say that on the, on the, on the live reads yeah. on the radio? Wait, wait. Tell mention, them, Jim. So, mention, yeah. mention this ad, and you'll get, get 10%, 10% off. Yeah, yeah isn't right. that interesting? That ain't well, going to happen. Boy, Shipples, if he's listening to this now, is going, don't say that. Yeah, get 10% off the tendency program. Mention this ad and made 10% too much. That's yeah, it. we'll charge you extra, right? Uh, Jeannie Bliss is our uh, guest uh, next week on the advertising show. Jeannie is, mm-hmm. has a book. It's called Chief Customer Officer, CCO, uh, which is also the name of a radio station, I think, in Minneapolis. But that's fine. Really? Oh, yeah, KCCO. Uh, so, anyway, Jeannie's with us next week, and uh, that'll be fun as, as well. So, let's see. What did I have here? I see uh, General Motors is... Pumping the ethanol, <laughs> so to speak. Well, I did that the other Pumping day. Pumping ethanol. Uh, it's, uh, apparently, they've got a, an offbeat online effort that has uh, logged them on 1.8 million page views. So that must be working. Wow. Four months, Christopher Love was plagued by a nagging question. Who is Benjamin Stove? Uh, Mr. Love, a 26-year-old from Albuquerque, New Mexico, caught up in the mystery with thousands of others across the world, spending between 15 minutes and four hours a day trying to solve it. 
Uh, but uh, what he found is his fellow detectives didn't realize they were really involved in an intricate commercial part of the GM Motors uh, Live Green Go Yellow Ethanol Ad Blitz. What a great idea. Hmm. If you're not doing something like that on your marketing and advertising, you're missing the bet. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, and if you haven't discovered the fact that the web is one of the most active uh, things you can possibly do for that, you're... Crawl back into the grave you came from. Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah. So congratulations to uh, GM as well for, for uh, doing the ethanol thing. Yeah, I can't imagine that uh, that someone would not be uh, leveraging the Internet today, 2006, no. understanding how to do that. And if they don't, then, uh, well, whatever. That's you know, you mentioned GM. Uh, Detroit automakers saw a sales slump in June, according to a nearly uh, newly released numbers. GM Detroit uh, said that this week is uh, in U.S. sales dropped almost 26% in June, a sharp decline from yeah. the previous year when the company offered consumer employee discounts and sales spikes. So would we expect to see those again? Of course. Yeah, right. I was sitting in front of a Chrysler uh Jeep dealership the other day, and it, there was a, a poster in the window. It said, "Employee pricing is back." Oh come on! Yeah. Oh please, no more, mm. Uncle. It's uh, like a line extension. You know, it worked before. Why not work it again, right? Yeah, but there again, what Daryl was talking about. Good. Here's yeah. Patrick Meyer. Welcome to Understanding the Future Now. It's the Marketing Insider featuring Patrick Meyer. If you're in an advertising agency and you're change resistant, or you've been on Madison Avenue for 50 years and you think everything should stay the way it's always been, then you may want to turn the volume down for the next minute or so. Because today I'm going to talk to you about what I call the new age agency or new agency. This comes right out of the DNA of chief marketing officers and what they think and feel now. Agencies doing a jump ball where they invite five agencies in to all work on creative, pay them a token fee, and take the best. Another example, having an online agency doing the bulk of your creative because you're going out in digital forms online, into cell phones, and in many cases extending out into outdoor print and other places where it began with online. Agencies looking for leaner teams, SWAT teams, where you pay for the creative bench strength and you're not paying for the rest. Or another example, marketing mix experts, a new form of discipline focused on the ROI, but looking at the mix and using tools to evaluate it. The solution is all about ideas and new go-to-market mode. The ideas doesn't matter where they come from. Clients will take an idea from any source, internally, externally, a core idea that they can work with. That's what it's all about. And it's about an agency that goes to market in a whole different way. It's speed to market. It's creative ideas that are big and can be extended out both online, offline, and into new technology. And it's also people that can think out of the box and think about driving the business, not just reaching frequency, but driving the brand and driving sales every day. That's what clients are looking for. So here's what you might want to do. If you're in an agency, think a different way. Try and be part of a team that delivers this. If you're in a client environment, start looking for those resources that help you get there. If you're thinking about starting your own company, keep this in mind because it's all about a different go-to-market model and delivering big ideas rapid fire. You've been listening to The Marketing Insider, heard every week here on The Advertising Show. Join us next week for more insight into the future of marketing. I'm Patrick Meyer, and remember, the marketing revolution is now. It's now, and it's it's here. Uh, with Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth on The Advertising Show. Hope you can join us for Jeannie Bliss next week, author of Chief Customer Officer. That sounds like a title that Gittimer might have come up with as well. So. Yeah, well, and she's also a former executive with Land's End and Allstate Corporation and several other companies, so she's got more than just, uh, you know, you're in she's got some credentials. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and, you know, she really makes you, you know, feel the bliss. 
Look at this. Okay, very good. You like uh, bottled water? Perrier, oh, yeah. one of the very first. I mean, long before everybody else sure. was putting water in bottles and selling it for a ridiculous amount. Perrier mm-hmm. was doing it. And, uh, and the, what they're doing now, they're saying a uh, daily barrage of some 3,000 commercial messages. We know that. Uh, Perrier is using its brand's story to position itself as a unique product. If not for its heritage as a French mineral water, uh, Perrier would likely have to compete uh, based on price and stave off the, uh, the copycat competitors. Mm-hmm. I really don't know of uh, copycat competitors. I don't believe that anybody could really compete uh, with Perrier on that level. I, you would think that um, you know the brand is so well established, they'd have a tough time breaking through that. Just, just the point. You're right. And, and I think they're smart to, to remind everyone that they are the old, old guy on the block because there's a lot of carbonated, you know, water out there, which, yeah. you know, the younger people may not realize the brand <laughs> heritage there. Ironically, Perrier is still an incredibly good uh, beverage to uh, yeah. drink. So good for you, Perrier, and uh, we wish you uh, much success as you continue to market here. Hope you enjoyed our interview today, and uh, we are uh, going to come back at you next week at the same time right here at the AdvertisingShow.com. It's a great destination anytime throughout the week or the weekend, too. Check it out. It's the AdvertisingShow.com. The Advertising Show brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit them online at age.com. The Advertising Show is a big radio midgets production.